Hi, everyone, and welcome to Campground Confidential, a podcast about starting, running, and growing your campground business. I'm Stephanie Puglisi. On each podcast episode, we'll talk to campground owners and other experts in the outdoor hospitality industry. We'll hear stories about what it's really like to own a campground, the good, the bad, and the ugly. From Park Vendor Review, this is Campground Confidential. Hello and welcome to Campground Confidential by Park Vendor Review. My guests today are Aaron and Dan Theme of the in-town campground in Nevada City, California. I first met Aaron and Dan almost 10 years ago when the in-town campground existed only on paper and in their dreams. But they had a vision and it has been inspiring to watch that vision turn into a reality over the last decade. I have learned so much about building campgrounds and running a small business from Dan and Aaron over the years. So I thought they would be the perfect guests to kick off the first episode of Campground Confidential. Welcome to the show, Aaron and Dan. Thank you, Stephanie, for having us. We're honored. Oh, I am so happy that you agreed to do our very first episode. I know that you all will help share so many really worthwhile and valuable experiences with our listeners, which is exactly why we're here at Campground Confidential. So to start off this episode, we are going to dive into the nitty gritty of your campground. Before we get into anything else, paint the picture of what kind of campground you own, how many sites, whether it's tent camping or seasonal camping or glamping sites. Just paint the picture of the in-town campground in Nevada City in our minds, Aaron. So we have 15 acres and a mix of tenting, RV sites, and glamping tents. So we have a little bit of everything for someone who wants to come and hang out outside. And Dan, who comes to your campground? I mean, we're a family campground, not exclusively, of course, but uh, that's a big draw for us. Um, We get a lot of young families, millennials. That would be our biggest market. And how far away are they coming? Interestingly, within two hours. That um, tends to be true, especially for the RVers. Glampers, they'll come from a little further away, um, maybe as far as like the barrier, which is depending on traffic, uh, like three, three and a half hours. So if I'm thinking about this right, you are a relatively small campground with a mix of RV and tent campers and also glampers, and you're not getting a lot of long-term stays or seasonals, of, and people are coming because they're attracted to the nearby area and they're ready to explore for a weekend or a week. Does that sound about accurate? Yeah, I would agree. Um, Dan, did you want to share? Yeah, I mean, we're recreational, right? The the area we're in is kind of the gateway to Tahoe National Forest. There's great rivers, mountain biking. Um, we're in a cool historic town. So people really come to recreate up here. We don't offer any long-term stays or seasonal rentals because we are so small. So come and go every few days, the rhythm of camp. All right. So now we have the picture of the in-town campground, and we are going to dive into the story of how you built it. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the origin story of the in-town campground. Take us back 
Before you opened your doors or your gates, I should say, before you took your first reservation, not everybody wakes up uh, one morning and says, hey, I think I'm going to build a campground, right? This is not the average business ideal, although it is getting more popular these days. So where was the seed of this idea? Take us back to the very first conversation y'all had, um, Dan. What, how did Who brought it up? Who <laughs> brought it up? It it evolved, right? It wasn't like you wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a campground owner and I want to go down this path. Um, but the genesis was when we lived in New Zealand, uh, both our boys were born down there. And as a young family, we would travel around. Um, they've got these cool places called holiday parks. And they're very close to interesting places, lots of great amenities for families and kids especially. And they always had a mixture of accommodations. And we thought as we were um, considering coming back to California that, wow, you know, what a cool model. Maybe we could do this in Nevada City. And, and from there, it just sort of evolved. So tell our listeners what you were doing already in Nevada City and how that informed, you know, the next few steps that you took with the in-town campground, Aaron. So prior, prior to owning the and building the campground, we ran a small motor court motel in downtown Nevada City called The Outside Inn. And I had the pleasure of doing that job for 21 years. So many, many years of helping customers, working customer service. So concurrently, while running the motel, we decided to build the campground. So we did that at the same time. Now, since we no longer own that motel, we were like, I can't believe we did that. But I think it really <laughs> helped us bring that hospitality customer service first experience to the outdoor space. I wonder how many people listening have had that experience over and over again um, as campground builders and owners, right? Looking back over a period of time and thinking, I can't believe we did that, right? (laughs) But somehow you did. So, you know, how do you think that experience with having owned a hospitality business, right? It was hotel. So, or motel. So it was a little bit different, obviously, than a campground. But like, in what ways do you think that gave you the confidence maybe to do this or what way informed that decision? But also like, maybe did it misguide you a bit? Like, did you feel more confident than you should have because it was such a different business model? Like, you know, looking back now a decade later, what do you think about where your brains were at with that having owned a hospitality business and how that impacted this decision? I think that I can... Go ahead, Erin, and then I'll chime in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that it helped us understand the customer first. It helped us understand marketing. It helped us understand online reservations. It under- helped us understand what our customers were coming to our community to do and how we could serve them, how we could help them enjoy our area. We do talk about how one of the things we were surprised about the motel guests versus the campground guests is that a lot of our campground guests come to the campground as the destination versus using the campground as a accommodation to use to enjoy the area. They they do that as well, but are and sometimes they never leave the campground, which is awesome. Um so I feel like the understanding how to help and staff and clean and market and do all of those things were beneficial, um, but understanding customer needs and triaging some of those situations are good life skills for any business. 
but Dan has a different side of the story because he has a different aspect of running the business. Yeah, so for me, running the motel, it kind of gave us a perspective on camping that was maybe a little bit different. Having not come at it from sort of the RV park side of the business, I think it allowed us to really uh, kind of redefine the market segment, especially when it came to glamping, which was very, very new at the time we did Mm -hmm. that. And when you think of glamping as um, an accommodation service, like an outdoor hospitality service, um, having that motel background really helped us focus on how to meet the needs of a completely different camper than most RV parks had really experienced at that point. So I credit kind of that experience really with letting us kind of go out on a limb, if you will, mm-hmm. with this business and, and kind of redefining um, how you might run a campground. Right. So you weren't looking to copy and paste a very traditional version of an RV park, right? You are sort of mashing up, it sounds like, this holiday park inspiration from New Zealand and your own, you know, roadside motel and your regional area, right? And why people came there. And you kind of wound up with this product that maybe sat a little bit outside of the standard campground at the time. That's absolutely right. And even now, it, I mean, kind of just marvel at this whole process it's a decade later that um, it's worked out, right? It, it was kind of a surprise in some ways that um, the camping business took off the way it did. When I went to my first conference after building the campground, everyone looked at me like I was insane because I had built one. Never met somebody that built the campground. <laughs> Well, you know, that was why I think I was so fascinated by your all story a decade ago, right? I think at the time, um, you didn't come across people very often that were building campgrounds. From my perspective, this seems like that's changed dramatically. And I feel like I'm now meeting and talking to a lot of to people who feel that this is a valid business, right? Model to pursue. Do you kind of feel the same way? Like you were the only ones doing it back then, but now there's just a really, uh, a, a bigger group of this dynamic out there in the campground space, Aaron. Yeah. And we've had an opportunity to meet a bunch of people over the years who've been inspired by our story and sought us out and, and thanked us and at conferences come up and been like, oh, we watched this interview or we watched this podcast or listened to this podcast. So um, that's been really fun to meet people who have taken our inspiration and put it to work. Um, So yeah, it definitely is a growing trend and we're kudos. We're super supportive. I think the campground industry as a whole is supportive. So um, we're, we're cheering alongside. And I think the campground industry maybe is learning how to be supportive, right, of those people building. Like that's been a learning curve probably because in the past, um, a lot of those support dynamics were probably in place more for the established, like you said, traditional RV park and the landscape has changed. And so the support structures have had to change also. Um, Now, uh, you know, let's dive into some of the specifics here. You know, there's like the ideation of the idea, oh, we're going to build a campground. Okay. And then there's like a commitment to the idea. And then there's that whole period of time before you even break ground. And then there's the building and then there's the opening, right? 
Can you give us a little bit of a timeline of that, Dan? Can you like help us understand what that whole timeline looked like and what those chunks, you know, like from the time that you said, hey, you know, we should get a loan for this or we should get approvals for this and this spot of land and everything. What did those timeframes look like? Yeah, sure. So the idea was there at that point. We had talked about it. We'd been back in the country probably for a couple of years and I had ridden my bike around and I found a piece of property that was for sale. And I thought, oh, this might be it. This might be the place we could do it. And up to that point, it was just an idea, right? Nothing specific. So we sketched some stuff out on a piece of paper and we kind of looked at it and we put an offer on on that property and didn't get it. So that was July of 2013, just as kind of a reference. Okay, but and what's on that property now, Dan, before we go any further? <laughs> I got to know. <laughs> pretty much pretty much the same thing. So there was a building on that property. It was like a, almost like an industrial building and a local company bought it and runs sort of like a communications type business out of it. So it, no. it has not reached its full potential in my opinion. It could, but, it could still maybe be a campground <laughs> phase too, right? <laughs> it could be, you know, ITC version two. Um, okay. So that fell through. Then what happened? So that fell through and, but right across the street from it is this awesome meadow. And I asked Aaron's mom, because at that point she was on the city council. I said, Hey, what do you think about this place? And she reached out to the city engineer. He's like, nah, not going to work. Even if they'll sell it to you, it's like there's too many issues with the water flow and floodplains and things like that. He said, but (laughs) they have another piece of property right next door that you might be interested in. And so he kind of gave me some details. This is the city engineer telling me this. And um, he says, I think you should go talk to them. So I went and talked to them. And that is the property that in-town campground is on. And it was kind of a you know, who you knew kind of a deal, if you will. And that process, so we're now in like September, August, September of uh, 2013. Okay. We put an offer and they accepted it. We had a 45 day escrow to do basically some, some really rudimentary inspections, one of which had to deal with mining because um, there's a lot of mining features on this property. Mm-hmm. But basically we had to take a punt. We had to buy this thing with weird zoning on it. There's a Chinese cemetery that has um, an easement associated with it. There wasn't currently access to the property, a lot of things, but we had to close the deal. So I remember <laughs> going to Aaron, I think just before it closed, I said, honey, we might've just bought a very expensive private park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this thing doesn't work out. <laughs> and, uh, so now we're October 2013, right? And at that point, I, I reach out to some contacts that I have and I get in touch with an engineer and we start doing some preliminary design work and um, basically getting ready at this stage to do the initial submittals for what's like planning approval, a conditional use permit. At the time, I was on the planning commission, so I knew that process pretty well. I knew kind of what the hot button issues were. And kind of what what questions I had to answer ahead of time. It took us um, from October 2013, almost a year to the day before we got planning approval. So it was October 2014 where we finally got the, you can do this project. And um, at that point, we then go back to the engineers, the designers, and we start getting construction drawings done. And geez, that was, um, we broke ground in June of 2015. So. 
that was, you know, like nine so almost later. a year of waiting for a lot of those approvals, then almost a year of yeah. then the more specific planning before breaking ground, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And there was there's kind of two phases to that. One was the infrastructure side, which we could do um earlier. That was the June start. And then we had the buildings and such, which took um uh, more design and more approval. And we didn't actually start construction on those until maybe September or October 2015. So almost two years now after buying the property, we were actually putting structures up. And then at what point um, from that breaking ground to opening your reservations system for your first guest, how long of a time was that? Yeah, I'm going to let Erin chime in on that one because that was more her side of the deal. Okay. <laughs> We took reservations starting in March of 2016, and we opened July 1st of 2016. So we had a couple of months lead up before, and oh man, we like neither of us got any sleep that spring. We worked our tails off. We did all the things you can't control. Like we told the story about how we didn't have any water, we didn't have any power, all the fun. Um, but we made it. We made it to the finish line. It was a little stressful, but um, but yeah, we. I would say for other campground people who are thinking about it, like uh, delaying the having a buffer would be uh helpful having an opportunity to do a soft opening would be helpful having a contingency plan if things don't work out would be helpful we, we didn't get any of those so we we booked them we took their money and we opened the day we said we were going to do, do it and we had had no practice no no trial run at all and how many people were there oh. do you remember oh yeah no we were almost yeah. full because it was fourth of July weekend <laughs> Oh, oh, that feels unnecessarily stressful. <laughs> so you had a full crowd on a holiday weekend for your opening weekend. Uh, perfect planning and timing, right? You might as well, you might as well go with a bang, right? Okay. <laughs> and so maybe you would go back and do that a little bit differently in hindsight. March sounds like a great time to open a campground. <laughs> March, yes, lead up to the quiet. Okay, so now <laughs> let me ask you how much of this you're comfortable sharing in terms of finances, right? So like without, you know, opening your books for the whole world and telling us all of your <laughs> your money things, can you help people understand just what the financing process looked like, right? Like not even necessarily all of the nitty gritty of the numbers behind it, but just like, what did it look like to even start to think about financing this project? Yeah, I'll chime in on that because um, we financed it privately. And there were a couple of reasons for that. One, the business model was very, very different than any other campground out there. So okay. there was no comps to come up with. There was no, I mean, pro formas, things like that are just really hard to envision. Now, we we kind of knew about it from operating the motel, like in terms of how we would get occupancy, how we would price certain things. We did kind of that market research. But we had to go private financing for ours. So that's okay. a totally different so, project than right. you know, somebody who's getting an SBA loan or something. Right. So, but but you personally felt like you had the numbers dialed in because of your experience with the motel and knowing what your what kind of margins you'd be dealing with or being able to kind of project some of that out. Yeah. Yeah. We 
Yeah, but I spent a lot of time in front of a spreadsheet, that's for sure. Um, well, Dan, we, we so talked we were, a little bit about how Aaron's background helped, you know, with the motel, but I don't know that we touched on that with you. And you have a background that kind of uniquely prepared you to do- dig into that. Do you want to share just your business background? Yeah, so I'm a little different. Aaron came at it from the hospitality side and running the motel. I came at it from the business side. Um, while we were in New Zealand, I did an MBA program at a university down there and then worked in a building supply company as their finance manager. So I I dealt with a lot of estimating on big projects and a lot of you know looking at profit and loss statements and, and running kind of the, the books of a business. So there's kind of two things that help. One, running and understanding how to look at financials is really important, um, mm-hmm. but also just dealing with tradesmen. That was, I think, one of the most useful things of my experience that I kind of leaned into is just knowing even just simple things like how to communicate with them and in ways that they understand and appreciate, know the lingo, all the jargon that just really, I think, helped me get through the project management side of of this whole thing. Right. I think um, this is so interesting. If we have people listening who are thinking about this process, right, of building or buying a campground, you know, you may not have experience in the actual campground space, right? But it's probably important to think about how your experiences in other areas can translate. Right. And and what you're yeah, yeah. what you bring to the table in terms of how that can kind of come over into this process and be an asset if uh, this is new for you. And I think, you you know, you too. And I, you know, we met a lot of people. We were just at um, the Campground Owners Expo um, in Ransom, Missouri recently. And I think we were meeting a lot of people who were coming to this from a previous chapter in life, right? It doesn't seem like a lot of really young couples were out there building campgrounds. It was more of that like 35-year-old, 40 and up. Like, so they have this other chapter behind them and now they're translating that into the campground business. So it's interesting, you know, to see that and and, and how those different skills maybe could play out. Okay, so what were you wrong about and what were you right about when you look at your campground now? <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a job at this because uh, we talked about this this idea beforehand. And one of the things that we didn't necessarily get right our first summer is having the confidence that things were going to be, that things were going to go according to plan. We We probably spent more time and energy worrying about all the potential problems than we needed to. And we probably spent more time and bandwidth and staff hours worrying about things that really actually aren't problems um, that we were just, we didn't know. And Dan, any anything to weigh in on on what you got right and what you got wrong? Um, you know, in a more strategic sense, uh, we got right the idea of the glamping. That is a huge, huge boom in our industry right now. Um, at the time, there were like 1,200 glamping units in the country, and we had 15 of them. You know, now there's like 40,000 or something like that, right? So yeah, in one like year, it changed right. 300,000 or something, right? Three hundred, I mean, 300%, right? In yeah. one year, it expanded. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like we got the glamping right. Um, I feel like 
um, I'll echo Aaron's comments about just trusting the process and kind of the, the nuance to that is trusting people a little bit. You know, we would stay at camp until like nine o'clock, just making sure everybody got here. And eventually we realized, you know, people can read a map and they'll figure out how to get to their site. Um, but we were worried, you know, it's like a new baby. I know. I think people always look back and say things like that, that maybe we didn't have to worry so much and we could have, but also maybe not, maybe because you were there, you know, and you were worried about it. Like it was a baby. It grew up into a toddler and (laughs) into now, whatever, now young childhood, whatever stage we're at with the in-town campground, right? Uh, How many years has it been since your, that, that, that uh, 4th of July weekend? It's been seven years since seven we and a half. Yeah. Seven and a half. That's a nice age. That's a nice age. That was one of my favorite ages with the kids too. So the campground's <laughs> at a good stage in life. Good. All right. So, you know, we just got the whole story of the in-town campground. But ne- so, so now we know that Aaron and Dan are you know, have the credentials, right? They are experts at this. They've done a lot, right? They've seen a lot. So we're going to come back in a minute and we're going to get some of that expertise out of them. Stay tuned. Okay. Welcome back to Campground Confidential by Park Vendor Review. I'm here with Dan and Aaron Theme of the in-town campground. And now I want to talk to them about the trends we're hearing about in the campground industry. People are making important business decisions based on all of these reports out there, right? Everybody's releasing a report these days. So what I want to know is I want real talk here. I want to know how, what all of these experts are saying is trending in the campground business. I want to see how it actually is playing out at the campground. So we've been at events recently. We've seen panel discussions, right? We've seen all these people sharing what they think is going on in the campground industry. Is there anything that has really resonated with you and you've been like, yes, 100% we're seeing that play out at our campground or the opposite, you know, saying everybody's saying this is a trend and we just don't see it at all. Um, Aaron, do you want to start? I I think that we can definitely give some yes, 100% to the trend of multi-generational different types of camping. So since we offer the tenting and the glamping and RVing, we've really seen our guests utilize that. And so sometimes it's grandma in a travel trailer and the the mom in the uh, glamping tent and then the younger sibling in the regular picture own tent or it's a friend group where someone wants has one budget someone else has a different need i love the story about the girl scout troops that'll come and the mom who's like i want to be here and i want to support my daughter but i don't want to sleep on the ground so i'm just going to rent a glamping tent i'm like we we pass no judgment we are here to help you in whatever way you want to camp and we're happy to provide all of those services so there's definitely been a trend of offering more mixing and matching in the camping industry and we've seen it in a magically beautiful way at our campground over the years. Dan, any thoughts? Uh, one of the trends, you know, I focus a lot on facilities in our in our different roles, um, the EV thing and how that's affecting campgrounds is an interesting trend. We're in California, so uh, electrical electric vehicles have been adopted um, profusely and early. So how do we deal with that from an infrastructure standpoint? You know, 
the systems aren't designed to charge EVs at every pedestal. So we're kind of working through that still, but that trend is definitely happening. We've seen Rivians come towing trailers. We've of course seen lots of Teslas. We haven't seen um, like an electric motorhome yet, but I bet you it's not too far away. <laughs> so I'm, I'm worrying about that, but it's a real trend and something that we need to, you know, think into the future about our infrastructure for. Uh, you know, and that, and that, points out something that's helpful about these trend reports, right? Like somebody, you're in California, so you may be able to say, yes, I'm experiencing now, but this right now as we speak, but like someone in another state, they, they may not have seen this yet, but it's, but they're lucky they could get ahead of it, right? Because this is something that can affect someone's bottom line in a very real way, right? Like you can see your projected yeah. revenue change dramatically based on people showing up, plugging in <laughs> and charging things <laughs> that have never been charged before at your campground, right? Yeah. I mean, you can do the calculations based on your power bill and suddenly your RV site just lost money for a night. And um you know, California does tend to be an early adopter of a lot of new technologies and a lot of trends. So in some respects, we can be also early adopters of how we address those trends. But for folks that might be, I don't know, in places where EVs haven't taken off yet, and absolutely listen to it because it's going to be coming. People really like them. And if they can get ahead of it, you know, go for it. Right. They don't have to learn. They don't have to go through the hard yeah, they, knocks like I you mean, are. We, we they can prepare. Go, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that is I think that that's one of those um, important things that we can say, hey, look, these trend reports can actually help people looking into the next year protect their revenue projections, right? By like putting up these flags that may, they may not be seeing at that point yet. Another thing that I um, was interested in in that way that I've been hearing a lot about is weather, right? And these weather-related events impacting what, you know, may have in the past been a super busy month or a super busy weekend that you could always count on. Um, have you seen that yet? I know, again, California, like, Y'all have weather. Um, <laughs> have have you noticed um, drastic weather patterns impacting some of your revenue projections? I can say yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the weather patterns are unpredictable. I mean, this year we had snow, and we didn't we didn't have as many wildfires, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. The very like campers like to in California like to camp when it's sunny and warm, and then when it's not, they change their plan. So um, we definitely have to be flexible. I think the best takeaway as business owners is that we have to continue to find opportunities to market the off-peak seasons to make up for the variability of the weather patterns that do impact the business operation. Right. Like our restaurants that have prime rib night on Mondays or things like that, right? It's like, how do you get people in on those times that would normally not help pay the bills to, to help pay those bills, right? All right, everybody. That's our trend talk with Dan and Aaron Beam. We are going to be back in a minute for their masterclass. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Campground Confidential by Park Vendor Review. We are ready for in-town campgrounds masterclass. And Erin is going to talk with us about that 
extraordinary superpower she has as a campground owner that she really believes could help all of you listening out there take your campground marketing to the next level. Erin, what are you a superstar at? Well, I appreciate that you think I'm a superstar at it, but uh, Dan, <laughs> Dan, Dan's the one who said I had a superpower of visual storytelling. So I will, I will say that I am passionate about it, and it is something that I enjoy. And as a result, our business has significantly benefited from it. And uh, we are thankful and grateful that we have a super picturesque campground. We have all these beautiful trees and we're in the forest. And we have, as we said earlier, different types of camping. So we get to have a mix of people lamping or tenting or bringing their cool trailers or their regular trailers or the motorhomes. Anyways, all sorts of fun. Um, And we live in a cute little historic gold mining town. So we live in a, in a, picturesque locale but um i do i when i we took over the campground or when we built the campground i had had a previous experience of writing a local blog which i did for over a decade and it gave me all of those skills and tools to understand how to tell a story on a virtual platform obviously this day and age i have to keep learning and i not a TikTok master. Our teenage child tells me I'm not very good, but I'm trying, right? I uh, So I feel like one of the things that has helped build our campground um, is to continue to invest the time and the energy to share our love of where we are and what we do and what's special and help remind people to come and visit us. So Aaron, tell everybody what channels do you think um, that includes, right? So being a visual storyteller, which you you can be um, shy if you want, but Dan and I both agree. And I know a lot of people, <laughs> other people would agree too, right? You You have nailed this. I've been watching for a really long time in terms of in the campground space, you are a master visual storyteller. You, you tell people what the in-town campground is. And you invite them to come and experience it for themselves, right? So, and and it's compelling. Like I watched it. That's, nobody out there can argue with me about that. So tell everybody, what channels do you do that on, right? Like you mentioned having the blog, you know, what, what are your avenues for your visual storytelling? Yeah. As a person who likes to take pictures, I have used visuals uh, throughout the years. I feel like it keeps growing. Um, But as of now, I have dipped my toes in Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok, threads, uh, Twitter, now known as X. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. I would not say that YouTube is my medium of choice, but um, we probably get the most engagement on Instagram and Facebook. So that's yeah. Now, how do you, it's very difficult. Anybody that's owned any kind of business knows how difficult it is to track ROI from social media, right? Unless you're selling some sort of trinket that people can buy right then and there with their Apple Pay account, right? So the rest of us who may be selling like experiences or travel or things like that, it's really hard to make that direct connection. What are ways that you track that kind of, you know, resource investment into these platforms like a blog and Instagram and Facebook. How do you track the investment you make against the gains you think you receive, you know, as a company? 
Yeah. I think the part that I enjoy it is probably the best part, that it's something that I enjoy doing. Um, I do have the opportunity to work at the campground on a regular basis. So I checked in a customer the other day and she said, you're the person from the videos from our Instagram live. So I get direct (laughs) feedback from individuals. Um, I do believe and understand the long game. And so I can plant these seeds and my garden will grow over the years. And sometimes somebody has been following us and it takes them it's not a short turnaround. It's not a instant gratification. I'm building a relationship with people and hoping that they are interested and engaged. Um, I do track our website numbers. I do track our engagement. I am I'm consistent. I do respond to people. So I do show up and um, participate. Uh, but I think that it's a part of our business model to have an active presence and um, our business is doing all right. So I feel like that's the way I have my measure of success in addition to people coming up and talking to me in person. Right. So engagement and being present, right? Those are two things that you can't fake on social media. So if somebody is not, you said you enjoy it. Not everybody enjoys social media. I think that may be a qualification for this being a good strategy for a campground owner. So if they don't enjoy it, um, they should probably find somebody that does, right? That can do that for them. Yeah, I totally agree. And But they have to have their vision. They have to understand what they're doing. I mean, if they have a mission statement and understand the, the culture of their business and what they're trying to attract, that's helpful if they then outsource it to somebody else. What have been the um, any downsides to really being so um, public, right? Like you, you very, very much have a social media presence. Have you ever seen that have a downside to it? I don't think so. I mean, I, I can't walk around the campground without people knowing who we are, but that's okay. I didn't, if I don't want to be on on, then I should probably not go to work. It would be my response to that. Um, <laughs> Don't go there. Don't be at the campground if you're not in the mood. (laughs) There's no undercover boss at camp for me. I understand that. Um, So is there a downside? I I don't know. I mean, we're still passionate about what we do. And and I think if we didn't feel that way, then then I would probably revisit how I wanted to show up. But for now, I I love what we do. And I, I think it shows. One more question for you about, um, you know, social media, I would say, or marketing your campground through visual storytelling. You have also embraced public relations, right? So for those listening, there's a difference between social media and PR coverage, right? So social media, those are your owned channels. You own that Instagram account, you own that Facebook account, and you choose what goes on there. PR is centered on what's called earned media, or getting onto other people's channels, right? And you're doing that for free. You're not paying for an ad on Facebook or paying for a Google ad. So you're you're saying, hey, something I have to say is compelling enough, right, to be included in your story. And I think, Erin, that that has been something that's been a very important part of in-town campground success from the outside, at least. That's my opinion. You can feel free to disagree. But I think that your PR strategy um, has been really dialed in. Do you want to share any little tips for campground owners that have never really done any PR and how they can kind of dip their toe into that? Yeah, 
I mean, I would say the best piece of advice we had for that is we hired an amazing publicist. And so we, I knew that I could do the social media and I could talk to the local media, but I wanted our campground to have a wider audience. And as a result of connecting with the right person who had the right contacts, we have been in amazing publications on the news and varying opportunities that we wouldn't have had. So I really needed to cast that net a bit further. And that's where working with somebody who's a professional who has those contacts is great. I also feel like the long game is a useful tool and that we didn't necessarily always get that article mentioned for the first round, but that sometimes they came back to us at a later, oh, I have this story. Would you be a good contact for that? So, you know, just creating the relationships with people that would be useful and making yourself like, I know how to tell a story and I have good content. And so if I'm helpful, then they'll come back and say, oh, hey, do you have any ideas or suggestions for this? And you're all like, yes, I can help you. Right. So if any of our campground owners are listening and wondering why certain campgrounds are in the news, right? Like, why are they in this story or why do I see these? Um, it is because they're working for it, right? Like they are doing public relations work, sometimes hiring a publicist or doing their own outreach through um, platforms like Help a Reporter Out, right? Harrow.com or things like that. So it's not magic. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot of work, but because it's earned media, it's a lot of work that people may not see, right? And may not really understand behind the scenes. So I think that's something um, that you all have done right. And um it has pro benefited your long game probably in a way that's really hard to measure, right? That's the thing about these. It's a lot easier to measure a Facebook ad, <laughs> right? Than it is some of this stuff, but pretty valuable stuff. All right, you guys, thank you for that masterclass in visual storytelling. I'm sure Aaron will be happy to go back and forth with you through DMs on Instagram if you have any. <laughs> additional questions for her about that and what she does. We're going to be back in a minute for our lightning round. Stay tuned. Everybody, we are back for our lightning round with Erin and Dan theme from the in-town campground. They wanted to know what my questions were in advance, but no. Dan did not get the first question in advance. This is I'm going to start throwing them at him and they're going to alternate their responses. Okay, y'all ready? Here we go. Dan, what was the biggest mistake you ever made as a new campground owner? <laughs> Trying to guide a 34-foot fifth wheel into a site that had a tree that wouldn't let it get out on the very first day we opened. Okay, Aaron. Chainsaw. <laughs> chainsaw alert. Okay. <laughs> Erin, what is your absolute favorite thing about owning a campground? I love talking to the customers and being able to see people making our dream an actual reality. Dan, would you ever build another campground? I would buy another campground and refurbish it. I don't know if I would build one. All right. Erin, dynamic pricing or no? Yes. Dan, promotional pricing or no? Yes. All right. Aaron, what makes you absolutely crazy when you hear a new or aspiring campground owner say it? This is going to be easier. This is my retirement job. This <laughs> can't be that stressful. <laughs> 
idea of retirement. This is not retirement. I love it. Okay. Dan, do you ever camp for fun? Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to pick up a new travel trailer on Monday. All right. Aaron, what review can you not shake off? I feel like Dan has the better answer to that one. So I'm going to pass the buck to him because he has one. All right, Dan. (laughs) Oh, we had, they're in the same vein, two reviews um, that called very personally. One called me a racist. The other called me a homophobe. And I, um, I just can't get that out of my head because I'm not either of those things. So. No, yeah, those are that's that's uh the personal attacks, right? On what yeah, on yeah. you feeling that way? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Um, Aaron, what can you just not manage to hand off to an employee? Oh, I'm a control freak when it comes to my marketing, so I accept that. All right, Dan, what is your most controversial campground rule? Well, we got some ideas on this, but I'm going to go with the extra vehicle pass. You can't get it or you can? You have to have one if you have an extra vehicle. Okay. (laughs) And do you have to pay for it? Some people don't like it. You do have to pay for it. How much? How much is this extra vehicle costing us, Dan? 15 bucks a day. No, sorry, $11 a day. I'm wrong. It's a lot cheaper than parking a car in New York City. All right. I'm okay. I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I'm giving you a pass on that. Okay. And Aaron, our very last one, you kind of maybe shared what your answer to this may be. Let's see. What do other people get wrong about what it's like to be a campground owner? Well, some people think it's easy or that you just show up and talk to the customers and go home or that it's only a summer job. <laughs> It's not. It's not easy, Aaron. <laughs> For those of you that are listening, Erin um, is shaking her head wildly <laughs> right now. <laughs> it is not easy. Okay, well, then I said that was the last one, but I will say very last one to Dan. Dan, you were saying it's not easy too, shaking your head wildly. Is it worth it? Absolutely. I mean, it's an amazing, we work in an amazing place with amazing people and 99.9% of our guests want to be here. So I don't know. I've never had a job like that before. So yeah, absolutely worth it. Oh, thank you. That's a good note to end on for our lightning round. Thank you both so much again for being brave enough to be our guinea pigs on Campground Confidential by Park Vendor Review. I appreciate it. Y'all are very inspiring, but you also just have so much practical knowledge that I know our listeners can benefit from. So, you know, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Campground Confidential from Park Vendor Review. If you are a campground owner, operator, manager, or employee, make sure to sign up at parkvendorreview.com to search for vendors, read and write reviews, and access our library of resources. If you are a vendor in the outdoor hospitality space, head over to parkvendorreview.com and claim your listing today. We'll be back with another episode of Campground Confidential, but until then, visit us at parkvendorreview.com where we make vendor decisions simple.